theyeshiva.net. So we have, good chaydish everybody, good morning everybody, welcome. We have a balbris here today, making a bris soon, mazel tov. So we learned that to understand Esav, we have to understand that there's two components to Esav. Because here there's the makif of Esav and there's the pnimi of Esav. The makif of Esav comes to his father and says, how do you give miser from salt and how do you give miser from straw? In other words, asks very holy questions. The pnimi of Esav, which Yitzchak knows about quite well, is ain't shem shamayim shagar b'fiv. When Yaakov is mentioning Hashem's name, and it's supposed to be Esav, he knows there's something off, because Esav is not known by him to mention Shem Shamayim, Hashem's name, and therefore he's suspicious that this is not Esav, and therefore he concludes, Hakoil kol Yaakov, v'hayadayim yidei Esav. The hands may be the hands of Esav, they feel like Esav, but the voice is the voice of Yaakov, as Rashi interprets it. What's the distinction between the makif of Esav and the pnimi of Esav? What does this mean? What does it mean? There's two aspects. This is called makif and pnimi. So for this, he gave the long explanation about the difference between 10 versus 11. Generally, in Kedusha, we always have structures of 10, units of 10. For example, the classic is a minion, right? A dover Kedusha. The Gemara says, you don't say a dover Kedusha, pachas me'asar, less than 10, whether it's Kriya Satayra, or Baruchu, Kedusha, or Kaddish, Amen, etc., Chazar Sashatz, or whatever the Tavr the Kedusha is. So you have the minion of ten, the Asara is a unit of ten, which on a spiritual level represents the combination of all of the ten Koiches, from Chachma through Malchus. And yet, when it comes to Zela Uma Zed, the world which is not Kedusha, you would expect also ten, because everything from Kedusha, ultimately everything from non-Kedusha comes from Kedusha. So it should be reflective of each other. You know, like an ape versus a man. The ape also mimics a lot of human behavior. And uh, they're very similar to each other. Some even think that we came from apes because they're so similar to each other. So, nonetheless, when it comes to Klippa, Kabbalah says you have everything, things work in number 11. Like the 11 herbs of the Ketoyedis, Yud Aleph, Samamani, Ketoyedis, which is What's the reason for this? For this he explained that the key difference between Kedusha and Klippa is not if it has a relationship with Hashem, because everything has a relationship, because everyone gets chayas from him. The difference is the cognizance of the relationship, the awareness of the relationship. That in Kedusha there's complete seamless, there's a seamless flow from the source into the recipient, and in Klippa, the chius of Kedusha ultimately is exiled, meaning it's repressed, it's stifled, because if it wouldn't be, the very identity of the reality would have to question itself. The only reason Klippa can survive, can thrive as Klippa is because the godliness is concealed, and therefore it creates room for a substitute reality that people built, and build and build. Sometimes you can build, you know, a castle out of sand, and it's a very, very impressive castle. The only problem is when there's a storm, the castle is destroyed. So what that storm in life means could mean many things, but the point is that you create a substitute for the real self, and the reason you create a substitute for the real self is, and you could do it is because the true source of the self and the energy of the self is concealed, 
as we explained at length, the concept of the husk, the shell, the, the shalacht, as it's called in Yiddish, the klippa, and therefore it could thrive as an independent existence rather than And yet, there was one issue, and that is, if the chios is completely swallowed up and absorbed, how does it manage to give vitality to it? So he says, this is where number 11 comes in, or chapter 11 comes in, and that is, that there's an oyer of Kedusha, light of Kedusha, that remains makif. Makif means it remains completely above. And because it remains completely above, it's not integrated into the vessels of the recipient. So you have here, on one level, it receives its chayas from Kedusha, and the Kedusha is not swallowed up and absorbed in it on that level, because it remains makif. And as he said, what remains makif is makif mumayla. It remains makif ethereal, uh, hovering over it from above. On the other hand, on the other hand, it doesn't dictate its behavior. It doesn't dictate the clipper's behavior because it remains somewhat aloof and detached, and it's not fully integrated with it. So it could continue to remain clipper, and that's why number eleven is the link between the chiyus of kedusha and the chiyus of clipper. So the ten elements that go into Klippa, that becomes completely absorbed in it, enclosed in it. That's the Chayis that gives it content, that gives it design, that gives it consciousness, that gives it identity. But that identity is an identity of Klippa, not of Kedusha. That also comes from Kedusha, but that becomes completely concealed. It goes into exile in the Klippa. The link between Klippa and Kedusha is that number 11 in the Ketoris. It's Levoina Zaka, the frankincense the pure frankincense herb, Levoina Zaka, that is the number 11, which is the link, the missing link, so to speak, between the world of Kedusha, where godliness is expressive, and the world of Klippa, where godliness is completely concealed. Through number 11, the Klippa gets its chius from the Kedusha in a way that can allow for its identity to exist, but it doesn't challenge its continuous existence as Klippa, because it remains in a state of makath. Therefore, the head of Esau, which is in the bosom of Yitzchak, that's the makif of Esau. The makif of Esau, the number 11, so to speak, of Esau, that is where he connected to Yitzchak. He's part of Yitzchak. And he says he's nichlol in Yitzchak. He's absorbed in Yitzchak in Kedusha. And that's the Esau that asks about ma'asrin as ha'melech And then there's the Esau as his own individual identity, not his makif, from which he is split. He, split, he doesn't feel his makif, because that's what makif is. Makif means you're not fully in touch with it, even though it has a tremendous influence over you, but you're not consciously in touch with it. And that's another Esau, and that Esau is detached from his makif, like all klipa, which is disconnected from its own makif, and that's why it's makif. That's what makif means. Makif means I'm not consciously aware of it. It's different than we and I always understood. Master Samalach pointed to this is a, re- is a real, it's a passionate uh, desire to really do something really, really good. Of course. It's coming from a, from a genuine place. Of course, of course. It's real. It's real. That's not really what we're taught in school. We're talking that Asa was tricking him by asking these questions. So you're being disingenuous by answering this young man uh, that way. <laughs> Who's being disingenuous? <laughs> well, just like Esau. I don't know. Maybe you're being, uh, maybe you're being uh, real. <laughs> Isn't that the way every third grade Rebbe teaches it? That uh... can't go three days late. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So now you want to discuss the school system? Is that no, what you want to I, what's, what, 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 what is the truth? What is the truth? That's all. He's asking a question that, that he, he was confused because just like everybody else sitting here, we were told that Aesop's um, coming as a con man. And uh, he's saying, gee, Tati, you know, how much uh, do you have to get myself from salt? And uh, am I there? And he has a little yarmulke. And <laughs> right. But isn't that very problematic for a simple reason that for this we have to assume that Yitzchak was really in La La Land? I guess that's what Rivka thought, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, we're teaching the children that the Avais were the greatest Sadikim who ever lived. Is the underlying message really that Sadikim could be fooled? No, I mean, you know, you have a love for a child, so you could see how it could be taken in. You know, a child comes and, you know, is, it behaves like a tzaddik, and you want to so much passionately view your child as a tzaddik, but like the gentleman said, you know, his real motivation was, you know, just to be on, you know, be on, be on the inn with, with Yitzhak. It wasn't really anything to do with knowing Torah. The guy was out there murdering and stealing and, you know, <laughs> Okay, I hear you. I hear you. And, uh, you know, maybe we could put it this way. Esav was deceiving himself more than he was deceiving his father. That's what it really means. Got it. That, that makes sense. And that's often what happens. We don't really deceive others ever. All deception of others, the one who gets deceived most is yourself. That's how it works. It looks like you're deceiving others, but... Okay, Adeyad Inisht. Right? There was a Rebbe known as the Maharash, the son of the Tzamech Tzedek. So he said once, in Yiddish, he says, that Ebishter Kemenisht Apnaden. God, you can't deceive. The Welt Kemenisht Apnaden. The world you also can't deceive. At least he meant his world. You can only deceive yourself. No, if us is the Kunz as a Nar Nar Topanar. <laughs> so what's the big deal when a fool deceives a fool <laughs> somebody once came to him the same person and he said that his friend committed a terrible terrible sin and he's embarrassed to come to the Rebbe to speak about it so he sent him to come to the Rebbe to speak about it and ask for a tickle this is what he tells the Rebbe Maharaj he invents the story and he tells him what the sin is so the Rebbe Maharaj says why did you have to come and tell me that your friend did it and he's embarrassed to come? Why couldn't your friend come and say that you did it <laughs> and you're embarrassed to come? <laughs> you understand? So uh, the greatest deception here is, there's a part from the Kotzke Rebbe, Lois Signov starts with yourself. Don't steal from yourself, right? Don't delude yourself. And that's really the tragedy of Esau. The tragedy of Esau is that there's a complete split between his pnimi, meaning the way he appreciates his identity, and the way that he really operates on another level, which is also a genuine part of him. And it's so genuine that Yitzchak actually is extremely taken by it, because he sees it. And it's almost he sees himself in that child. And that's why Chazal say that the head of Esav was buried with Yitzchak. In other words, at the end of the day, 
There's a part of Esau that's completely integrated and united with Yitzchak, and for generations, for thousands of years, the head of Esau remains in the bosom, in the grave, in the Maris Machpela, not only in the same cave, but literally in the in the cave, in the space, in the region where Yitzchak's holy body, holy bo- holy body, holy goof is is buried. Now here we have to appreciate a little bit the contrast between Makif and Pnimi. Because what this really tells us is, what this really tells us is that Klipa has a number 11 which Kedusha doesn't have. Now Kedusha doesn't need it. Why? Because everything is integrated. So if everything is integrated, so the light could be filtered and um, manifested in the vessel. That's what Pnimi means. Or Pnimi means whenever the light suits you. It becomes one with you. You have a grasp of it. It integrates in you. It's something you relate to. And therefore it defines you. And this is the key. Or Pnimi defines you. Because you feel connected to it. You understand what it is. It's you. It's how you define yourself. Or Makif may define you much more than Or Pnimi, but you're completely clueless. Or Makif is so powerful, it may define you much more than anything else. Today we speak a lot about the superconscious or the subconscious. It's really makif. Makif means something that may impact you in the most drastic ways, but you will never be aware that that is the reason. So you could live your whole life in a particular way, and you don't know that it's all because of a particular event, story, consciousness, state of mind, perspective that is ingrained. Or makif doesn't mean it doesn't influence you. It means the influence is sometimes so powerful that it's not conscious. It can't be conscious because it's too powerful to be conscious. Sometimes, it would shake up the system. But did, so sometimes it does break. I mean, Aesop did too. Right? No, no, no. A person could go through life like that? Yes, you could. Yeah, That's what makif is. And the makif is very holy. The makif is really holy. It's radically holy. And it impacts you. And he says the whole klippa operates that way by definition. It needs Kedusha. And the Kedusha can't be completely swallowed up because then it wouldn't be able to give it Chiyos. But the Chiyos that it gives it, the relationship is a very, very intense relationship, but a non-conscious relationship. Because the klippa would be conscious of what it is, how could it be klippa? It would have to shed all the layers. The reason it could maintain all the layers and continue living and operating as it's operating is because the oil of Kedusha, which is very real, its relationship with it is in a state of makif, not in a state of pnimi. Where Kedusha doesn't have that. Kedusha, there's only 10, there's no number 11. Yeah. The Gemara says a Ganev, when he's digging the hole to get into your basement, he starts davening. And he starts making achlotas, 50% stucker, he's going to build a yeshiva, he's going to achlot his kala, you ever see that? He's ganvening right and left, people do it, but he's going to give to the dinner, yeah? Everything. And he davens Tashem. Hashem, please help me. The shaila is, why does he daven Tashem? Because he believes in God, he doesn't pray to Hillary. He doesn't say, Hillary, please help me, or Queen Elizabeth, or Donald Trump, please save me. He turns to God, he believes that somehow God runs the world. But God said, Loi signoivu. <laughs> Shem said, Don't lie. No, <laughs> You believe in that? 
This is an example. He thought that meant don't steal from yourself. <laughs> Very <All right>. good. <laughs> See, this is one example of makif where something has an influence on you, even in a conscious way, but it's not integrated. You don't really have a relationship with God to the point that it translates in dollars and cents. Ultimately, you got a ganve, right? As somebody once said, Kinderlach, as if it is ganven, Kids, if you're not going to steal, you're not going to have. You know, business is business. Pleasure is pleasure. Not not connected. I take a daven to God. Help me out. But Lepoil Mamash, somebody got to support the family. <laughs> Who's going to support? God is going to support the family. I got to support the family. That's one example of makif in one way, where where the person is aware of something, but not in, not in an inti- It's not real. It's not it's not pnimiyistic. Right. The Ur Makif is the Kedusha that fuels the atheism. Most Jewish atheists are very religious. <laughs> In other words, they're religious about their atheism. You could see it. They're usually more religious about their atheism than religious Jews are about religion. They're more passionate about God not existing than a lot of people who officially believe that God exists are passionate about God existing. Right? I was once at a lecture and there was a big atheist there and he started to holler, There's no God! So I told him, Why are you getting upset about something that doesn't exist? (laughs) (laughs) Relax. Who gets upset about things that don't exist? You don't get it, it didn't happen. The pshat, of course, is that it's in his kishkas. It's in his kishkas, and it may be in his kishkas more than another person. And that's why the upsetness is more powerful, because I have to repress it much more. You know, they say the anecdote that there was this Jewish secular Manhattan father who put his kids into a secular prep school in Manhattan, and it wasn't working, it didn't work. But he needed a good school, he wouldn't put him, God forbid, in a public school. So he puts him in a Christian prep school. So the boy comes home the first day, he says, David, what do you learn? He says, Daddy, unbelievable, I learned about this trinity, you know, the ghost, the Holy Spirit, the this, the that, three gods. He tells him the base of Christianity. He picks his son up by a scholar, he says, David, I'm going to tell this to you once and only once. There's only one God and we don't believe in him. <laughs> so, the, this all comes from Makif. The, 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 the passion that fuels Klippa is really Kedusha. But there's no conscious relationship. So therefore, therefore, there is a very deep connection to something, but the connection is one, it's not superficial, it's deep. Makif is deeper than anything else. But it's so powerful and so intense, but you can't make the connection. You can't make the conscious connection between what is fueling it and what is not fueling it. Because if you do, you won't be able to be you. And it's too painful to question your whole identity. And this is true in people's lives, in a lot of different situations. We don't make connections, and that's why we can afford to perpetuate certain realities in a way, because the makif remains the makif, and the pnimi remains the pnimi. What this means is also something else, and even deeper. And that is that there's certain, and this is a very sensitive idea, and I'm saying it's a very sensitive idea, and like a lot of these ideas, if they're misconstrued, they can also feed uh, erroneous behavior and erroneous ideas. 
I'm saying this especially, this idea that I'm going to say now, which emerges from here, that these are very sensitive ideas. And, uh, and some of these sensitive ideas one has to be sensitive to, sensitive with, because they can be, you know, misinterpreted. And when they're misinterpreted, they can uh, produce the opposite notion which, which, which he's trying to teach. But whenever you're dealing with high-stake energy, you have to be careful, right? Which is why, just for, for, for clarity's sake, why there were always Jews who felt that all this material should not be studied by anybody. Because why confuse people? Why start talking about Esav has a makif? Isn't it just better to say Esav was a Russia Mirusha, Yaakov was a tzaddik, Yitzchak was fooled, boom, next. Clarity, borders, boundaries. Why the need to explore deeper dimensions of Esav? Now, even if it's true, who needs truth? <laughs> what we need is people to follow the route. Follow the route. Why confuse? Why go winding? Just make a straight path and tell me Esav was wicked, Yaakov was good. People who agree with me are, are tzaddikim, people who disagree with me are rishayim. That's it. Done. Settled. There's an advantage to that. There's an advantage to that. Um, uh, I don't think today Judaism will survive that way. I don't think it will survive that way in a real way for real people. I don't think. Which is the reason that the Baal Shem Tov came to the world. The Balatani came to the world, etc. But I'm bringing out that there's a svara, a different svara. Don't deal with, don't deal with nuclear power. <laughs> let's, uh, let's uh, what's the word? De, uh, remove all the nuclear... This, uh, I guess, what's the word? Uh, let's remove that energy. Non-proliferation. Huh? Non-proliferation, right. You know, just let's go back to Chala knives. You fight with Chala knives, you don't fight with nuclear energy. The problem is there is nuclear energy in the world. So if Judaism is not going to operate on a level of nuclear energy, you lose the battle, because there is nuclear energy. People operate on this level of consciousness today. In the whole world, everyone is dealing with makif pnimi in their own way. So if Yiddishkeit doesn't tap into that level of energy and reveal God's perspective, so then people who are sophisticated and deep and are searching for a deeper truth, they say, there's nothing in this religion for me. It, if all it could tell me is how to dress and how to look and how to fit in, and that's where it ends, and basically for doing this I'll burn and for doing this I'll get cotton candy, and that's where its message begins, its message ends. And whenever I ask a question, it's heresy, and it's, it's apicursus, it's kvira. So maybe it works for some people, but as some of you know very well, internally there's a level of disassociation and disillusionment that's very powerful. But whenever you deal with these realities, there's always the sensitivity that needs to be introduced. Well, the... Every person has a soul, but the type of the, Jew, the, the the nature of the Jewish soul is different. So here we come to one more very important point about Makif, and that is that Klipa has an energy that Kedusha will never have. Which is why Yitzchak is so desperate to bring Esav into the fold. Because Yaakov needs Esav. And Yaakov still needs Esav. And this Mimer has a continuation in Parshas Vayishlach, which I hope we'll get to where Yaakov meets up with Esav at the end of everything, at this point in Toldos, they split. There's no way there could be peace between them. That's the tragedy. Yitzchak tries, but there's no way. But remember, 20 years later, Yaakov is coming back, and he wants to meet Esav. He wants to reconnect with Esav. 
they tell him that Esav wants to kill you, which ends up not being true, because Esav actually hugs Yaakov, because Yaakov does all the things he does. So that's the next stage. But there's something in Esav that Yaakov needs. In other words, you can't detach from Esav, because Esav has a gift that Kedusha doesn't have. What is it? It's called the Makif, the Ur Makif. On one hand, the Ur Makif is only there because of the disadvantage of Klippa. Because Kedusha is integrated, Klippa is not. But because of that, because, in, in, in Gemara there's an expression, Kal Kalaseinu Zui Takanaseinu. Every crisis is also an opportunity. Every flaw is also a virtue. Every door that closes opens a new door. And every challenge always creates newness. There's no pain that doesn't create new paths in life. So the challenge of Esau, the challenge of Klippa, and what it has also introduces something that's very powerful that Kedusha doesn't have. And that's one of the reasons God even wanted it should be Klippa. So that ultimately it should contribute what it could contribute. And that has to do with the Ermakif, which Kedusha doesn't have. You see, the tragedy of Klippa is that it's disconnected from the Makif. But to understand something about Makif, Makif has a radical component to it that Pnimi doesn't have. Because Ur Pnimi seeks integration. It seeks unison. It seeks to be settled. It wants to settle. That's what it is. It becomes part of who you are. Makif, which doesn't have to become part of who you are, can afford to be wild, to be bohemian, to be uninhibited, to be free. Reb Nachman of Breslov writes in one of his Svarim, Lekutim Aran, I think I saw once, that art was not a gift that was given to the Jewish people. That's what he says. Art was not a gift that was given, it was given to Esau. Now, what does he mean? What does he mean? I could speculate what he means. You have some great Jewish artists. What he means is, I don't think somebody who's making a painting, or even a musician, there's plenty of Jewish artists, and profound Jewish artists. He means art as the uninhibited expression of creativity without limitations. What we call in America the bohemian lifestyle. There's something in Klippa that is wild that Kedusha will not have. And the reason Kedusha won't have it is because Kedusha always demands integration, and therefore demands discipline. It demands structure. You can't get carried away to a point where all limitations are nullified. Because there's always somebody who's going to tell you Zman Krishna is in 20 minutes. You know, Mincha, Mayriv, Plag. Judaism is very, very structured. Torah is extremely structured. You have Shabbos, you have Yom Tif, you have sunrise, you have sunset. Sunrise creates a chalois of halacha and sunset creates a chalois of halacha. Neitzachama creates a whole set of halachas. Kasha l'shoifer, kasha l'mila, kasha l'tfilin, kasha l'tzitzis, pidin haben, whatever you have to do by yoyim. Nighttime creates a whole new chalois of halachas. Whatever you can do at night, whatever it is. Baha shemesh v'tayr, svedes ha'oymer, seydelel pesach, dinei shabbos and yomtif night. There's always a synchronization, synchronization between the self and the world, between time and space, and there's obligations that are created by structure. This is always Ur Pnimi. The Ur has its place in the Kali. Klipa is connected to a Makif. Makif, by definition, doesn't need to settle. It doesn't have to be integrated. You don't even have to know what it is. It doesn't have to become part of you. So it tolerates a certain chaos, a certain radicalism, a certain uninhibitedness 
that is the essence of what art is. The creativity of art is that it has absolutely no limitations whatsoever. Now, because of that, a person can also destroy themselves. A person could take that into very dangerous places. That is what infinity is. Infinity means that there's absolutely no limitations. And that was the difference between Esau's life and Yaakov's life. Yaakov was Ishtam Yoshev Eholim. Literally, he sat in the tent. The tent defined him. Esau was a man who knew how to hunt Ish Sada. In the field, you have nothing to define you. There's no walls. A Oyel has a cover and a walls. The field represents an open place. Psychologically, what it means is, in the world of Makif, everything is open. When everything is open, you can experiment with things without any limitation. There's something very... Uh, what's the word? There's something very... Uh, okay. I don't know, empowering. But there's something very vibrant about it. Very vibrant. There's a lot of vibrancy. And the vibrancy comes because of absolute wildness. Uninhibition in the profoundest way. Why? Because the chius of God that fuels clip is uninhibited. It's makif. It has to be makif. Because if it was consciously filtered, you couldn't be clip. It's not. And therefore, there's a wild component of absolute free art, if you will, that has no agbalas, no limitations in that universe. The challenge, of course, is that very often we all know what that is. Can you live a free life? What does a bohemian life look like? You know, what does a <laughs> what does a bohemian life? Anybody here is a bohemian or a wannabe bohemian? Wannabes only? I know artists. Yes. You know, like real artists, right? <laughs> real, real artists, real poets. See, musicians have this. It, it's a certain. A lot, there's a lot of it sometimes allows for tremendous creativity and uh, it would seem that religion is the greatest enemy to that because it demands obedience discipline structure and here's the question can Judaism be bohemian because there's a part of the soul that wants to be bohemian there's a part of the soul that needs to scream and fly and dance, and soar, without innovation. It's like a spunk, a, a chios, a vibrancy that's infinite. And one of the great tragedies is when we take people who soar, and we stifle them, and we force them into a box, and their only way of becoming liberated is by breaking out of the box and destroying even the good things that exist in the box. Because there's no way to link the bohemian aspect of the soul with the need for structure. Everybody understands to co- maintain a married life with a family, you can't be out every single night dancing to the end. Dance me to the end of life, is that the expression? Dance me to the end of life, to the end of the horizons, to the end of the planet, right? You want to raise a family, it's all structure. Anything you want to do, you want to run a business. Without structure, ultimately, all ideals fade away into oblivion. Chaos and the bohemian lifestyle are short-lived by definition. There's a reason that great musicians and great artists have downers that are unprecedented and usually need uh, various substances to maintain their high because it's very, very difficult. Because by definition, you're out in open space. There's no gravity. There's no gravity, you're in open space. It's very refreshing when you do it for a few months. 
or maybe for a few years. But ultimately, there's nothing you can call your own. That's the tragedy of Makif. The tragedy of Pnimi is that it sometimes robs people from that endless expression. So in Yitzchak's world, he sees Yaakov and Esav as a perfect match. If only Yaakov could learn how to take from Esav his Makif, and Esav could learn how to integrate the Makif into Pnimi without destroying either one of them, you have here a very profound relationship. Because the Makif does have something that by definition is very, very unique. And Kedusha, on its own, so to speak, doesn't have it. Now, of course, Makif is Kedusha. What I mean Kedusha, I don't mean Kedusha doesn't have it. I mean Kedusha, that is completely Kedusha, lacks it, because it doesn't need it. The Klippa gets the Ur Makif from Kedusha. The Makif is also Kedusha. I just want to clarify that. The box here, I don't mean by the box here, like we say he's in the box. I'm talking here a much larger box. <laughs> I don't mean the box what like... Yaakov was Tiferes, which is a perfect balance, but a perfect balance is not Makif, for character. A perfect balance is Pnimi. Perfect balance is integrated. Makif is wild. It's extremely wild. What would have been better with Yaakov when he would have had Makif? Well, he had to get it. We'll soon see. Yaakov had to get it. That's why Yaakov... There's a relationship between Yaakov and Esav that cannot be separated. You can't just make believe Esav doesn't exist. Now Yitzchak, therefore, saw Esav, and he saw two sides of Esav, and they were both very real. There was one element of Esav that says, There's really a very deep idealism there. He's searching for truth, and that's an element of Kedusha, but it's completely not integrated. He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know that he's really looking for God. He's really looking for truth. He's really looking to connect to truth. He's really looking to connect. He will never identify himself as that because that would have to cause him to change his entire life, his entire identity, his entire perception. So there's an element of Esav where he says God doesn't exist and there's another element of Esav where he doesn't stop screaming that he wants a relationship with God. It's very, very deep. Um, uh, when my father passed away, my father had the newspaper, a Yiddish newspaper, the Algemeiner Journal. So in my house, I knew a lot of Yiddishisten. The Yiddishisten were classical atheists, a lot of them. Bundists, leftists, social work, socialists. From Russia, a lot of them. The Yiddishisten, they, most of them had a good Jewish education. They had something with religion that was extraordinarily deep. So one of the directors over there, the Farvitz, was, was created by them, the Farvitz, the the four, today it's the four, but there was a daily Yiddish newspaper, the four, it had a lot of power. It had a quarter of a million readers in the early, uh, after the war, all the immigrants, they couldn't read English, they read the Yiddish press. So, um, they had 600 schools in America and Canada and South America. The Yiddishisten had 600 schools called Arbitering, Workmen's Circle. 600 Jewish schools, imagine. Completely secular, but Yiddish. Culture, no religion. So I was once speaking to one of the big chevra there. So uh, he tells me that uh, <laughs> I asked him to write an article, and I said, "Title in the Algemein, I wanted to publish it." And I said, "Title it the Ani Mamen von Anapikaitis," because <laughs> he was very passionate about the Jewish people. I said, "Tell me what you. I want to know. Let people know what you believe." So he says, "He says Anapikaitis," but I do have to admit that when I went to the Kaisel Amaravi the first time. 
I broke down, sobbing, sobbing, sobbing like a baby, and I couldn't control myself. And I still don't know why. There's no holiness because God doesn't exist. So it's just a place that Jews deluded themselves <laughs> that God is there and they built a temple and they made sex. It's actually a crazy, stupid place. So why am I crying? Okay, it's a place that my grandparents were. So it's a place of history. But why was I crying? He says, I have no answer for that. <laughs> so you'll say, maybe you were crying because you have an neshama. Let's not go there. So he told me once that the, they used to make the Farvitz Association they used to make a ball, uh, banquet. a banquet, once a year for all the workers. When? Yom Kippur. A banquet on Yom Kippur. So I told him, I said, why didn't you make the banquet on Sukkot? <laughs> why didn't you make the banquet at Yom Kippur? At Yom Kippur is the mitzvah to eat, chas v'shalom, to make a banquet then. Chanukah, it's a mitzvah to have Sudas. Yeah. Yom Kippur. Why not Chavzayin Tevis? <laughs> Why not Chavtes Cheshven? Because they need Yom Kippur. A Jew needs Yom Kippur. Esav needed to give mice. A Jew needs Yom Kippur. But I'm not ready to say I need Yom Kippur because I want a relationship with my soul. I'm not ready for that. But I still need Yom Kippur. So how do you do Yom Kippur? (laughs) You make a huge banquet on Yom Kippur to say... Yom Kippur doesn't mean what everybody else is, says Yom Kippur. So I defy Yom Kippur, and that's how they have Yom Kippur. That's how they celebrate Yom Kippur. They celebrate Yom Kippur through a negative relationship, but it's a relationship. I need Yom Kippur. If they would know what it is, of course they couldn't eat on Yom Kippur. God says not to eat on Yom Kippur. But that's what Makif affords you. It affords you a relationship with holiness that's very deep and sometimes more radical than the Kedusha relationship. Because it's not limited by anything. It's not limited by consciousness. So it's completely wild. And yet, it can feed the opposite of what it is. So who is Ace of Deceiving? Rebbe, Rebbe, who is Ace of Deceiving? He said himself. Himself, more than anybody else. Yitzchak can identify that in Esav, and he will not completely, uh, completely disregard him. I'll, I'll finish with a Maisa. I mean, I guess the whole thing is one big Maisa. But uh, this Maisa I heard from Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz. You know, Rabbi Adin Evan Yisrael. It's a very deep story. He, was, he walks, he lives in the German colony in Yerushalayim, Moshavah Germanit. He walks every Shabbos morning to the old city, to Davin in the Tzemach Tzedek Shul, in uh, the Rova, you know, in the old city of Yerushalayim, the Tzemach Tzedek Shul over there, that they liberated by the Six-Day War, yeah. He goes there every Shabbos morning. I don't know what it is, a 45-minute walk, a 50-minute walk, maybe a little more. I don't know if he still goes today, but I heard this a few years ago. So he was once walking Shabbos morning, and he met somebody that he knew, a neighbor or somebody you knew, who was a very liberal left-wing Israeli artist. And you know left-wing Israelis are not like American left-wingers. Israelis know how to be left-wing. <laughs> Americans don't know how to be left-wing. Jews know how to be left-wing. He meets him. Oh, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Where you going? He's going to Shul. Where are you going? He says, there's one place in your Shalom you could still buy bacon and eggs. So the covered Shabbos, he has chazer to celebrate Shabbos. He says, wow, where are you going for lunch? He says, lunch is a place you could still find lobster 
and shrimp. So the covered so the Shabbos, he goes there for Shabbos. So then what's for Shaloshudas? So Shaloshudas is one place there's real Yayin Nesach. So he goes there to, to celebrate Shaloshudas. Bradinstein yeah. is a very clever man. He looks at him and he says, ah, I'm jealous of you. He says, of course you're jealous of me. You're going to Shul I'm going to have a good time. He says, that's not why I'm jealous. He says, why are you jealous of me? He says, I'm jealous of how passionate you are about Shabbos. He says, unfortunately, I'm not. I go to Shul, I come from Shul, it's the same thing, been there, done it, another Shabbos bites the dust. He says, for you, Shabbos is meaningful. It, it stirs, it stirs deep emotion. Why don't you just stay home and watch television? Why don't you just read a novel at home? <laughs> no, you can't. If they eat bacon, shrimp, yayinesach. <laughs> if they mechala Shabbos and eat trefas, why? It means something to you. So he says, you also observe Shabbos. I think you observe Shabbos even more than me. You just observe it in a non-conventional way. But you also observe Shabbos. He says, that I'm jealous of. The Yid became a Shemesh Shabbos. The Yid became a Shemesh Shabbos as a result. Because he opened himself, he opened him up to a reality. You always wanted to keep Shabbos. <laughs> but you couldn't say that, you couldn't acknowledge it. This is the Makif. The Makif is always Kedusha. But it's never translated as Kedusha, it's translated as shrimp. So you have your interesting paradox. You could see somebody eating shrimp. And it's really their way of trying to connect to God. Now, that's why I say it's a very sensitive idea. This doesn't mean that to connect to God you should eat shrimp. <laughs> it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that to connect to God you should eat bacon. To connect to God you should not eat bacon, you should not eat shrimp. I think everybody knows that, right? You're not getting that wrong message. Okay. It does mean, it does mean that on a deeper, super conscious level, that's what he's looking for. But he doesn't know how to integrate. He doesn't know how to translate it. So it's going in the opposite direction. The outlet is exact opposite of what Hashem wants. But the energy behind it is very holy energy. And that's one of the most important distinctions probably in our generation. What people do and the energy behind what they do is completely not the same thing. What they do may be actually very unholy. The energy behind it may be much holier than the holiness of the people who hate them. It may be much holier. And because it's much holier, it's very, very powerful. And therefore it fuels much more of the unhealthy outlet because it needs more power, it needs more expression. It's nuclear energy. And that nuclear energy is extremely powerful. If one can integrate that nuclear energy, so then you change the world. Okay, we're holding page 40, right? The second paragraph. Vahi Esav ben Arboyim Shana. Page 40, Vahi Esav ben Arboyim Shana. Yitzchak was 40 and Esav was 40, right? So this mime is also on page 40. <laughs> A Yid came to the base Yisrael, Shusha Yogan Aleinu, the Gary Rebbe, and he said he's becoming 60 
this week, so he said, Mazel Tov. He said, I'm very worried. He said, why are you worried? He said, the Mishnah says in Pekayov is Ben Shishim Lezikna. When you're 60, you get old. So I'm very worried. The Bishnah says, you don't have to worry. Pumpti by Deleuz Nishmukoyim Gevonim Ben Arboi Lebina. But by Deleuz Nishmukoyim Ben Shishim Lezikna. The Mishnah says, when you're 40, you acquire wisdom. By you, that wasn't fulfilled. So the other part of the Mishnah, when you're 60, you get old, also won't be fulfilled. So you're good. <laughs> He's saying page 40 is Ben Arboyim Labinah, because Yitzchak married at 40, and Rashi says Esau married at 40, because he wanted to mimic his father Yitzchak. So usually we see it as hypocrisy, that Esau was just trying to copy, and like a chaz, that Rashi brings like a chaza, stretch, stretches out his, uh, his hooves and says, Cook, ich bin I'm a kosher animal. In Yiddish, there's an expression kosher via chaza fissel. It says kosher as the foot of a pig, because they stretch out their feet to show. Rashi brings to show, to display their claws. That's on one level. That's the pnimi of Esav. And the makif of Esav, he wanted to. He was dying to be like his father. He was really dying to be like his father, but he couldn't make conscious peace with that desire because if he would. He wouldn't be ace of anymore. So, uh, the greatest tragedy of Klippa is that it, it it sometimes destroys others, but in that process it destroys itself. Because it doesn't realize what it's really looking for. And that's always one of the greatest sources of sadness in people's lives. That in their process of uh, searching for themselves or trying to find fulfillment, they destroy themselves. Because they never realize what they were really looking for. As the expression, sometimes people destroy what they love most. So what Bechira did Esau really have if he was destined from inside the womb to be Esau? Oh, that was my Shia to the women this week. What type of Bechira did Esau have if he was destined in the womb? So that's what I did a Shia this week for the women. And you could see it on the yeshiva.net. It's called the innocent. <laughs> it's called the innocent. I, I, don't, I don't go it's to women's take care of and <laughs> No, it's not a woman. I'm women happen to be at the shia. No, but, uh, but it's called the innocent ace of how we destroy many a child. Okay. I, I would love to share it, but it's Mamrish, a whole sugi before the afternoon. So, uh, but it's, it's a very, very important idea that. The way, the way, you know, Esau gets bad rap, a lot of bad rap. Some of it he deserves. And some of it requires a little bit of a deeper perspective. You know how to pounce <laughs> and stuff, man. <laughs> yes, Bechira is one of, uh, one of the interesting issues. What, what are you referring to? What, uh, yeah. You mean it doesn't look like anybody has Bechira, basically. Yeah. Well, Bechira is not, not a Pashita thing, because when you study people's lives, it doesn't look like, really. Ultimately, everybody has been set up <laughs> and framed by somebody, right? Huh? It's a little rough. No, I mean, you look at people's lives, do they really, really have, uh, you know, do they really, really, really have choice? I mean, yeah, you have a choice to make a coffee or tea, but do you really? <laughs> Why does this person want caffeine? <laughs> do they have khira about that? Because they're tired. Why are they tired? Do they have khira about that? Okay, good, good. Noted. 
noted. Vihine noida. It's known kiachius be'esekis in the mesavusa. The life that the ribbon shaloylam puts in to the ten crowns of impurity, whom ipnei kichayil bola vayikienu. This is an expression from a pasuk in Eiv Perik Chaf. Chayil bola. He absorbed. He swallowed up chayil. Is uh, great strength, great vitality, great strength, great valor. Vayiki enu, and ultimately he spits it out. Another posik, a posik in Kaihelas, Perik Ches. The ace asher shalat ha'adam ba'adam liraloi. There's a time that man rules against man for his own detriment. The dictator, the dictator doesn't only destroy others, it's ultimately liraloi. Both of these psukim are brought in Kisve Harizal to explain, I don't know, to explain, to highlight the relationship between Kedusha and the opposite of Kedusha. Chayil Bola is Klipa. It absorbs a lot of vitality from God, but Vayikenu. Ultimately, it's going to vomit it. It's going to spit it out. is the Adam of Klipa, rules over the Adam of Kedusha, Lirale, only to his own detriment. Why? Because ultimately our confrontation with Klippa is always to extract its sparks, always to see what is the message there. Klippa has a lot of dynamism, dynamic vitality, because of two reasons. First of all, its ten qualities are filled with Kedusha that are absorbed. And besides, as we learned yesterday, there's the Makif, the number 11, chapter 11, which is its link to Kedusha. And because of both of these dynamics, they have tremendous amount of Chiyos. When we are confronted with these husks, with these shells, the purpose is not to surrender to the husk, but to extract the kedusha in it, and therefore to grow from the process. So whenever a person confronts concept realities in life, the lecha'ida are very not kedusha. For example, thoughts, let's begin internally, always easier to, uh, to talk about, or harder to talk about. Depends. Thoughts, impulses, uh, impulses are good ones, right? Crushes, inclinations. I'm not going to say addictions, but you know I'm, you know I'm talking <laughs> about that. You could put, you could always put that on the, on the list, always. But all types, all types of uh, inclinations or cravings, dispositions, yearnings, pinings. Some of them are kedusha. Some of them are, are not. There is a, always a lot of cover-ups in them. They do not tell you what they really are. That is their power, as I said. If they tell you what they really are, they will be deflated. It's like deflating a balloon. The reason the balloon is not deflated is because nobody popped it. And the moment they tell you what they are, you're going to pop, it's going to be popped automatically. So it has a tremendous appeal, but the appeal is always external, always superficial, and therefore it will not really satisfy you, because ultimately... It will rear its emptiness. Its emptiness will rear its ugly head, or I should say its empty head. So therefore, when a person does confront any of these things, inside or outside, the outside will be very appealing. The inside will be very unsatisfying, because you're not looking for what it really says it can give you, because it can't give you what it says it can really give you because that is based on a denial of truth. And anything that's based on a denial of truth is going to plot. Not today, tomorrow. If not tomorrow, after tomorrow. 
and hopefully in that process you don't plot. So ultimately, the whole purpose of the Kedusha in the clip is by Yikienu. It's going to get vomited out. Haka, lahaki is like to vomit, to throw up, to spit out. Klippa dominates over Kedusha L'chayra, but it's L'rale, it's to his detriment. You know why? Because the Kedusha is going to take out the Chiyos, and then the Klippa dissolves. Because the whole reason Klippa could exist is only because Kedusha. The moment Kedusha stops feeding Klippa, it has no source of vitality. You take out the oxygen. So paradoxically, here is the great tragedy of life from the perspective of Teres Hanista, one of the great tragedies. People surrender their souls to Klippa, when really, Klippen needs them to surrender their souls because they need their chiyos, because they need Kedusha. You're looking to Klippa to get that which Klippa really is getting from you. You're looking to Klippa to get that which really it needs you to get, but you don't know it. And the ramifications of that are very, very profound, especially in terms of psychology. You're looking to something or somebody to get that which they really need you to get. And therefore, you could find it in yourself in a much deeper and in a much profounder fashion. And whenever you're using the clipper for that, that means that the person is completely unaware of who they really are and what their potential is. Because the only real toichen, the only real koyach that clipper has is from Kedusha. Elamite manipulates it. It distorts it. It conceals it. But that's the only real vitality it has, because it is the only real vitality. It's the only source, there's only one source of vitality. There's no two separate sources of vitality. So therefore, ultimately, to the detriment of the clipper, because that confrontation may equal his demise. Like those insects that when they sting, when they sting you, right, for their blood, for their vitality, ultimately that also destroys them. That is also ultimately their demise. So therefore, I should explain a little more. Which Nakuda? What is helping? What does it mean that's what the cleave is trying to get from you? Whenever there's a source of Kedusha, the Klippa always yearns to get Chiyos from it. Like oxygen. Because it must have Kedusha to live off it. Like a parasite. Like a parasite. It's like a bloodsucker. Huh? Like a bloodsucker. Like blood yeah, in Yiddish it's called a piafka. A leech, right? Mm-hmm. It sucks the blood. And it always searches for it. Which is why, by the way, the Gemara says in Sukkah, Kol HaGadol Mechavere, Yitzra Yaisir Gadol. Somebody who's greater, the Yetzirah is greater. Or you'll always see in the halachas of Tumah and Tara, and this is the Yisait of all halachas of Tumah and Tara, which most people close down, close themselves off to when they're nine years old. The first time they hear in Yeshiva, a mission about Tumah and Tara, they just give up on it, and even when they're 30, 40, 60, they just close down. Karbonus and Tumah Tara, mm-hmm. those two subjects, when the Gemara starts talking about it, every Shia just closes down, right? There's one, the guy, the teacher's talking to himself. Unless he also closes, shuts down. But really, really, there's a lot of rhythm. There's a lot of rhythm in these stuff. It's not like uh, I think it's taught in the wrong way. But uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of first of all, a lot of spiritual depth for sure. But there's also there's a rhythm to it. There's like a, a method to it. There's there's a beat to Hilchas Tumatara. So one of the biggest sides is that anything that is more productive for human use is always more susceptible to tumah. 
For example, take food stuff, right? If it's not edible for people, there's no, not makabal tumah. If it's edible for people, it becomes something that's makabal tumah. Like schach can't be something that's edible because it can't be something that's makabal tumah. Take utensils. The more precious it is, the more used by people, the more valuable it is by people, the more it's makabal tumah. The less, the less makabal tumah. It's not coincidental. Because the definition of tumah is, it's a koyach of klipa that's looking to nurture itself from kedusha. So therefore, the higher the spirit, the higher the spiritual rung, the more susceptible to tumma, because the more spiritual potential. Wherever there's more spiritual potential, in the absence of that potential, tumma takes over. In the absence of potential, tumma takes over. For example, if I'm going to go dedicate my life to thievery, you don't rob schnorrers, you rob banks. Why? Because you go where the money is. Maybe some schnorrers are like banks. But uh, generally you go to the bank. Why do you go to the bank? It's harder to get into the bank. But you want to go where the money is. So since uh, they say the old joke that there was a group of Arabs that uh, went to rob the Tel Aviv bank and they found a bunch of pledges. So, uh, <laughs> okay, so that's, you know, sometimes Clipper makes a mistake. <laughs> You know, it looks at you, and it's, it, it looks promising, but you're not really promising. So, it go, so therefore, the greater a person is, that's why people who are deeper have much more nisyanis. People who have more spiritual potential have much greater demons. Anybody in this room or anybody listening who has great spiritual potential knows that throughout their life they have had obstacles that are sometimes very irrational, that overwhelm them. It's not a mistake, it's habahatalia. The tragedy is when people see it as a, a license to delegitimize themselves rather than a license to realize their greatness. That's the clock. The more money in the bank, <laughs> the greater, more professional, the robbers that attract, are attracted to it. The bees come to honey. That's what they want. So the more kedusha, the klipa always hangs around there, like the bees hang around the sukkah for the honey. And now you have to make a choice. If you don't actualize your spiritual potential. In the absence of your control, they will take control of you. Wherever there is an absence of spiritual intensity in a place where there was tremendous spiritual potential, that's where Tum is. Classic example is Misa, Mace. The body of a person, not a behemoth, the body of a person, Dafka. Dafka person, because who a person is, at Salam Alekim has such power, such spiritual vitality, and in the absence of it, because the neshama left, it's the greatest, nothing could be as tummy as a person. In halach, it's the only source that's called avi avoisatum. A sheretz not, a nevela not, nida not, ziva not, even though that's also tumas connected to people. But the tumah of a mace, where life went away, so in the absence of that tremendous vitality, you have the greatest tumma. There's no source of tumma like that. Seven days, paraduma via Why? Because this is nurturing from a space that has incredible kayach of kedusha. So that's where it, oh, that's the, always the cloud. Incredible kayachis of kedusha attract incredible kayachis of tumma. Incredible kayachis of klip. And klipi here is not just a mystical, superstitious idea. Like when you you know you were a kid, like this dibuk that comes in the middle of the night, and you have to put ma, you have to put shaymrim, you know the story with the klayaka, right? You have to guard the child and and that. We're not talking about those clippers. I don't know about those clippers. We're talking about things that we relate to very well. The shells, the husks, all fears are clippers. Much insecurities are clippers. Uh, 
temptations that derail you are all these clippers. And therefore, wherever there's tremendous potential, they will always come out in a very powerful way. Now, here is what happens. They eat you up, and they leave you dry. (laughs) And then what happens? They throw you out because they don't need you anymore. And that's what happens when you surrender to clipper. They give you, in the beginning, the greatest meal in the world because they need you. The moment they use you up, they sap you, they deplete you from your energy, it's like uh, an orange peel that you already squeezed out all the juice. What do you do? You don't put it in a museum. You throw it into the garbage. And that's what happens to people after they surrender to Klippa. Klippa takes them, squeezes them for all their juices, which are holy juices. In that process, they make the person feel like a billion dollars. Why? Because I need your juice. So come, come to me. That's what all temptation does. Come to me, I will give you the deepest gratification in the world. Follow me, give me your energy, let me have your soul. When you're done with them, they will throw you out, throw you out. You know, it's called ultimate users. They use you. You know, you ever ever had such an experience? You were used and used and used and used and used, and when everything you know and you had was taken, now out. And you're treated worse than a dead cockroach. That's what the challenge, the tragedy of Kedusha with Klipp is. I surrender my soul to Klipp because they put you on a pedestal. They treat you royally as long as you're giving them the energy. The moment they took all your energy, which is oxygen for them, because you got the cash, you got the dough, you got the divine energy, now I don't need you anymore. I sucked you out. What's the word? Uh, I guess depleted you, drained you completely, and now there's only a shell. Now you're the shell. Now they move on to the next. They completely move on to the next. So it would be like a person who uh, really is the source of the wealth of the Klippa, but this person is coming begging them to feed him, when really everything, a lot of what they have comes, comes from him. So this... Uh, how do you feed? You surrender your soul. You surrender your soul. You give them your consciousness. No, you always have a divine energy. On some le- some things you never give up. You're right. Some things will be... What do you do to prevent it? Always awareness. Always awareness. Always awareness. You identify what belongs to you, what belongs to Clipper. And you identify what what you give, what you don't give. Vos? Dalad Amish Yeah, Amish. Barasi Yitzhahara, Barasi Loi Taira Tavlan, the Gemara says in Kiddush. You make gathers. That too, yeah. 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 Listen, it's, this is a journey. Every person has their journey, and there's, there's general things that in which we're all common, and then there's specific elements. Didn't you say that the Tumna has its own 11th? Emes. Emes. Okay. The answer, excellent question. The answer is because there's something in Kedusha that Tuma will never have, Klippa will never have. There's an intense energy of Elikus that Tuma doesn't have because in Tuma, it's concealed in the ten vessels, it's absorbed, and even the Makith, which is extremely powerful, and that's where it really gets its fuel, but ultimately it always craves for Kedusha because in Kedusha there's an endless, infinite flow of Elikus. And that's why, even though they have but their existence is only what is needed for them to exist. 
when they want to grow their existence, they want to enhance their existence, they want to enhance their bank account, they must have Kedusha in order to get more and more and more. And over there, there's always an endless flow. So even though they have their own, which allows them to exist, but nonetheless, they always crave for more and more in order to be able to uh, build muscle, in order to be able to become larger and greater. And for that, they have to go to Kedusha. They can't go to themselves. By definition, they could never find truth within themselves. Because if they go too, too deep within themselves, they'll find that they have to give themselves up. So they always have to go somewhere else in order to find something. Which, by the way, is also the reason that Klippa could never really give. It always takes. Because it has an insecurity that's very deep. And the reason this insecurity is so deep is because whenever you don't really think you exist, you can't really, really give. Because when you give, you're afraid that you're going to be giving the last thing that you could call your own, and now you're going to die. In order for people to give, they have to feel very deep down that their existence is solid. And therefore, when you give, you're not forfeiting your whole identity. If you feel that by giving, you're sacrificing your very essence, so either you define yourself as a martyr, as a suicide, uh, I don't want to say that, as a... uh, as somebody who's a martyr, and that becomes your new definition, which some people do, right? They once heard a mother tell her children, the only reason I stayed married to a father like yours is because of you. So you understand how that made them feel? And that's one option. Or another option is, you, 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 you say, I, can't, I just can't give. It's just impossible because it's too difficult. So Clipper, by its core, has an insecurity. Because of its insecurity, it always has to be parasitic. It always has to be a macabre. Kedusha could be a mashpia because it has an inner core that's unshakable, an inner confidence. It's fine. It's not going to go away. Because its existence is not based on a cover-up. Whenever existence is based on a cover-up, you always have to protect it like this. You can't be open. That's why Kedusha equals vulnerability. And Kalipa always equals... Uh, defense mechanisms, always. Because vulnerability is the art to be able to know that even when everything is open, you still exist fine. Why are people not vulnerable? Why is it so hard for people to have a very, very honest conversation? The answer is, what are you going to think of me? You know, I have a certain standing in the community, among my neighbors, among my friends. Why is it that at a kiddish Take a regular kid when people are out there. Imagine everybody would speak about their deepest insecurities. What would it look like? It would actually be a much more interesting kiddish than talking about uh, how boring the rabbi's sermon was. I'm not talking about 20 or 18 for shame. But, uh, uh, right? But who wants to do that? So we call, it, we call it social gatherings. Social gatherings is another name for people coming together, not really caring about the nature of the conversation. Just doing it so they can each tell themselves that they weren't interested in being here, but they have to be here, because if they're not here, what is this one going to think or that one going to think? Okay, so I'm not I'm not trying to be pessimistic about all social gatherings. Some people are social butterflies. But the point is, why can't people be vulnerable? They may be. It's very hard. The reason is always because what are they going to think of me? What is it going to look like? Now, although most intelligent people know that everybody is dealing with a lot, a lot of stuff, Vaharaya, when you speak to people privately, right, if they trust you, you hear what's going on. The only people I personally know that are perfect are the people I don't know. 
the only marriages I know that are perfect are the marriages I don't know. <laughs> All other marriages. Should a person be vulnerable in a public gathering? <laughs> I'm not telling anybody what to do. Listen, the world is based on a lot of shells and a lot of husks, right? It has to be that way. I don't know if it, it has to be that way. A certain, there's a certain limited element. Yeah, I don't think a person should sit down with, with strangers and, and necessarily say everything about their life. But a person should at least have one setting where they could do that. Because if not, they don't even know, they can't even process it. But what is the fear of vulnerability? The fear is, ultimately, if you think about it, I will stop existing. Either in your eyes, or in my eyes. Kedusha doesn't have that fear. Why? Because your existence is not based on the fact that you or other people think you're perfect. Your existence is based on an essential relationship with God that can't be broken. So imperfections, challenges, don't take that away. They don't destroy that. On the contrary, that's part of your journey. But if my existence is based on a cover-up, I can't tolerate that. I have to. I have to protect that. So Kedusha could give. Kedusha could be vulnerable. Klippa is always defensive. Always. Of course, bigger clip is more defensive. Smaller clip is less defensive. I'm thinking about Eliezer who went to find Shiddah. Yeah. And gave away all his cards. He didn't, have, he didn't cover up almost nothing. Well, Eliezer. Uh, yeah, he, he even gave away the cards that he wasn't interested in the Shidduch because he wanted Yitzchak for his daughter. Even those cards he gave away. You know that? Yes. Chidush Harim writes that um, he told Avram he wants, to, he, wants, he wants his daughter. He wants uh, Yitzchak for his daughter. So Avram said, Arur Ata. Ve'en Arur Later, Lavan tells Eliezer, Boy, Ata, Baruch Hashem. Avram called him Arur, and Lavan calls him Baruch. So it says in Medrash Rabbah that Eliezer lost the title Arur, and he got the title Baruch. That's why Lavan calls him Baruch Hashem. The Shailah is, how did that happen? How did that happen? He said, since Eliezer really didn't want the Shidduch to happen, because he had a daughter and he wanted Yitzchak to marry his daughter, and nonetheless, he transcended himself to do the mission of Avram Avinu. So in that process, he became not an independent reality, but he became an extension of Avram. So he says, the title Arur applied to Eliezer. Once Eliezer was just an extension of Avram, so there's no title Arur anymore. So it couldn't exist. And when did that happen? When he transcended his personal motive, and he surrendered to Avram's desire... So automatically the name Aura was taken away from him because there was no him anymore. His entire entity was an extension of Avram. That's what Bittl is. So Mela, that's why Lovin says Bruch Hashem. So even that he was vulnerable. Huh? Honest. Honest, yeah. So he says, Well, Mipnea Nitsutsus Shinoflu Ben Betchilus Briasoilom. In the beginning of Bria Sa'olam, sparks came into all the clippers. This was the process known as the breaking of the vessels, where all this, a lot of Nitsutsus of Kedusha, they became shelled, husked, which was part of the design of creation. Second stage was when Adam ate from the Eitzadah, 
ulafichach nimshech lam achayis bom shuhu besoid golos. Therefore, they have a lot of chayis of kedusha, but it's all in exile. Like we said, Kemaimer Razal, this is Pshat in the Gemara, like Golu Yisrael, Elekadei Lohoisif Aleim Geirim. The Gemara says the reason Jews went into exile is to add converts to the Jewish people. Very strange Gemara. How many Geirim did we already get throughout history? And the Halacha says you're not allowed to persuade Goyim to become Geirim. Fakert. A non Jew wants to become a Geir, you have to tell him. Zainish Meshugah. <laughs> what do you need to be a Jew? What are you looking for? Jalapeno herring, what do you need it for? Stay a non-Jew, you'll be a normal person. What do you need this insanity for? If he really insists, okay. Okay. But the vart is, what's Pshat? The whole Nekuda of Golos was for Gedim? Well, Atanya Taichas Gedim represents a symbolic idea. A ger has an ashama of a Jew. That's why the Gemara always says, Kotim shen is gadol, ger shen is gaya. It should have said, Goy shen is gaya. The answer is, even before the conversion, there was already a convert there. So like, Golu Yisrael, we went into Golu, the Sheitoisvaldeim Gedim, wherever Jews go, they confront realities. Those realities have tremendous Gedim in them. And when you take out the spark, in other words, you grow from the experience, because you find the Kedusha in those experiences, that's the Tachlis of Golus. So it's not just enough to say, get rid of the challenge. No, no, don't get rid of it. Look into it and find the spark. That's what he says. V'chem be'esav hayu nitzutzes. Esav had tremendous sparks. Kemoi, people, Reb Meir, Unkelos, Shmaya, Avtalian, Evadia. U'meihem hayat sayid b'fiv. That's pshat. That Yitzchak ate the trap, what was trapped in Esav's mouth. When Yitzchak saw Esav, he didn't just see Esav superficially. He saw Esav's deep relationship to Kedusha. He saw all the sparks in Esav. So throughout history, from Esav came out some of the greatest Tanoim. Reb Meir was from Esav. The Gemara says Reb Meir was a Geir Tzedek. You had Shmaya and Aftalian, the Zugas. You had Unkelos, Hager, came from Rome. He was a nephew of Titus. He gave us the Targum. And many more, Evadia. Evadia Hager in the Tanakh, you have Evadia, the Gemara says that Evadia, Sanhedrin, Evadia prophesizes about Va'olu Moshiach Ba'artzi and Lishpatis Hareso. Gemara says, Mineu Ve'ovel Shad Benarga. Evadia was an Edomite, he came from Eso. And you always, the handle of the axe to fell the tree comes from the tree itself. So, Bemela, Mehem Hoyatzayat Befiv, Hoyaroitse Yitzchak Loitziyim, Emenu Batsmishaloy Deyakam. Yitzchak wanted to get the sparks from Esav, not through Yaakov, directly through Esav. In other words, Esav himself should be able to acknowledge the Nitzutzis in him, both in terms of the ten and in terms of the eleven, the Makif. Shalom Yaakov is an introduction that was going to say later that Rivka understood that the only way to get out the sparks from Esav is by giving the brachas to Yaakov. It has to go through Yaakov. That's Rivka's position. Yitzchuk's position is, no, I'm going to salvage Esav by himself. Esav himself could be salvaged. Now also, after Rivka did what she did, you could get out the, 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 the tzutzes from, from the Yaakov, But it comes through Yaakov. Yaakov is the one who... So, Yaakov doesn't steal the brachas. <laughs> Yaakov holds the brachas. Yaakov holds the brachas to be able to work on Esau. 
That's ultimately what happens here. Rivka says, I want Esav to be sublimated, but he can't be sublimated directly. You have to get all the blessings that really go to Esav because you are the one who's going to have to work through Esav. Esav himself is not in a position where he could work himself through. So therefore, now it has to come through Yaakov. He's going to use here Kabbalistic terms. Which represents the Midois. Yaakov has all the lights of Kedusha in him. Yaakov comes down and he goes into what's called the world of Yitzira during the weekdays. He becomes what's called by Eliezer Avdai Skan Basi, which represents a lower level than a child, to go down into the Klippus and sublimate throughout the weekdays. That's why in the weekdays you do Boirer, Shabbos, you're not allowed to do Boirer. What's Boirer? Boirer is selecting the clip, separating the Klippa from the Kedusha, literally, the Psoilus from the Eichel, that's not for Shabbos. But Yom and the Chol, you have to do it. You have to be in Mavar. Shabbos, how long? How long? Yitzchak wanted it shouldn't go through Yaakov. He wanted the highest lights should be revealed in Esav. For this, Yitzchak said, I'm going to give Esav, not less light, much, much more light. How do I inspire Esav? How do I let him find his Kedusha? For this, you can't give him less. You have to give him much, much, much more. Can't throw him out of your house. You have to keep him much closer to you because you believe in his light. If you don't believe he has light, you throw him out of the house. If you believe he has light, but it's concealed, you have to give him much more light than everybody else. More love. You need to extract all those spots. You need a much bigger flame. That's why, what are his brachas? Look at his brachas. What's Tala Shamayim? Not only physical do of heaven. Who Tala the Atika the Notif Lizer Ampim Chinas Shamayim? Kabbalistic terms. It's called the do of what we call Atik, which is known also as Keser, which from it flows down to the heaven, which is called Zeir Ampim. In other words, much higher than Yaakov. Beitim Lachalakim Mital from the do or Mishmaneyad. It's from the fat Shemen Shemen fat oil is Chachma. The Abba Yosad Brata Nikraritz is an expression of Zoyar. The daughter comes from the father. Brata is daughter. The daughter comes from the father. That's Eretz. Mishmane Yaritz. Virotso Lahamshat Prinis Hatal Bashemin the Layla Shatazielos and it's Yaakov wants to give him the heavenly dew and the heavenly oil in order to sublimate his sparks. Shall take an example. You know, in the morning you wake up early. There's a, 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 there's the, on the earth you have the, the tal, the dew. So he says, when the sun comes to shine, in the middle of the day, it gets hot. The tremendous, intense warmth and heat of the sun absorbs, it draws in all the moist of the earth. The as the Pasuk says in Bereshis. The vapor ascends from the earth. You have a huge, huge torch, a huge bonfire, and then you put a bunch of little candles. The large fire will attract them, and ultimately they will be swallowed up. So Yitzchak thinks like this, 
by a tremendous glow of light beyond the regular light of Kedusha. So he'll be able to attract and bring out all the sparks that fell down very, very low. A small flame will never attract them. But a huge, huge, huge light and huge flame, they will not be able to remain apathetic to it. Their inner, inner, inner holiness will ultimately melt in this great flame. The sun will be able to absorb even that last moist and even the tiniest flame, even though it's so dark, the large flame ultimately will attract it. It won't be able to be apathetic. But this light must be abundant. It has to be a blessing beyond the evolutionary process which Kedusha follows. If you would work with the regular evolutionary flow of Ruchnius, Esav was not worthy of it, and Esav would not even be able to absorb it. The Zel, this is the diak of three strange words. When you read, Parshas told us, if you read the text of how the story happens, and as I mentioned, without any other commentary, just read the text, you'll see in the words that this drama of Torah Oyer is actually the most accurate in the text itself. Yitzchak is planning a very intimate moment. Yitzchak is, the way the Torah describes it, very tender, very emotional. His oldest son, he says, and he says, right? he identifies him as a son. He asks him what to do. He says, I want to bless you before I die. Now when Rivka repeats it, she changes three words. Yitzchak told Esav, I just want to bless you. When Rivka repeats it to Yaakov, she calls in her young son, and she says, your father wants to bless his oldest son. I heard him say, go get me food in order that I should bless you. But the way she quotes him is, your father said, Hashem. Yitzchak never said that to Esav. I'm going to bless you before God. Why would Rivka invent these three words? I will, he never said that to Esav. He said, I'm going to bless you. In this detail, Rivka was really saying the whole truth of the story. Lifnei Hashem, we touch in the presence of God. The Balatanya touches Lifnei literally before. You're connected to Shem Havaya. Esav is connected to higher than Shem Havaya, the Makif. Esav is trying to bring out in Esav his unique, Yitzchak is trying to bring out Esav his transcendental light, and for that he needs to go to his own transcendental light. That's what we're dealing with here. That's what we're really dealing here with. So Rivka is expressing to Esau what is happening. When you read the story without anything else, you just read the text, you could see the tenderness of the story, the tenderness of Yitzchak with Esau, the tenderness of Rivka with Yaakov, but also the tenderness in which Rivka understands what is supposed to happen here. We read the story, and as I told you, we manipulate the text very, very often. The text is a very, very pure text. It's a text that describes tremendous intimacy between father and son. We like saying Rivka just manipulated because he was a Russia, she manipulated him. It's not manipulation. This was a very cosmic, there was a cosmic struggle here. It was really a question about the destiny of, of Esau, the destiny of Yaakov, the destiny of the Jewish people, the destiny of the nations of the world. What's the Avarech Hashem? Lifnei 
higher than Avaya. Yitzchak looked at Esav Melmaila from a bird's eye view. He wasn't the principal or the teacher or the parent or the therapist who looked at Esav from outside in, called Melmata Lamaila, from bottom up. He looked from Melmaila Lamata. You understand what's problem with Lamata? From inside out. When you look at a person, you could look at the person from outside and then you try to figure out their inside. What if you could look at a person from the inside? And then figure out their outside. That's a different type of perspective. Yitzchak saw Ace of Melmailamata from a gaze of above, from his highest space, his most inner space. And that's what he sees. So what does he see? He looks, he always sees the Lavoina, the link between Yitzchak and Ace of where they really want. So now what happens is Al He wants to articulate to Ace of what this makif looks like. Could you understand yourself how only through a tremendous amount of light, which is a form of love, of closeness, of energy, can Esav ultimately discover that even if he allows the sparks to emerge and even if he allows his Kedusha to emerge, he will not die in the process. Klip is afraid to die. If I remove my shells, what happens... There's nobody left. So what does the love tell me? The love tells me that the you is not really based on this type of you. So therefore, even if you shed these layers, you won't cease to exist. There's a form of existence. All rebellion, all estrangement, all alienation is a form of trying to exist. And without this, I don't know myself. So this is the only self I know as a result of my trauma, whatever I went through. So this is how I have to be in order to be able to say that I'm alive. I don't know my makif, but if I could reveal to this person their own makif, in other words, I can reveal their link to Kedusha and the intensity of it, which is why it got so distorted. So then Esav could be sublimated. So for this, Yitzchak has to give him a blessing that comes lifnei Hashem. Higher even than Yudke Vafke. There's no way you could touch the makif of Klippa if you don't reach into your own makif. Meaning, structure, the Again, very sensitive idea. People who don't live in structure will not be inspired by the structure that you give them because they defy structure. Only if your Judaism will transcend structure, in other words, you will reach your own makif will you be able to reach into their makif and, and trigger it and arouse it? So, they're very practical. If a person is a good Jew, what we call an Erlichid, right? They wake up 5.30, they learn Gemara, they learn Halacha, they daven. I skipped the Torah. But, uh, but they're very good Jews. And they, they always do the right thing. They always do the right thing. And it's very appealing to them. It works. Why does it work? Whatever. Good reasons. It works for their personality type. <laughs> it works because they, they want to do God's will. They're fine people. They're, they're Erlichiyidim. They're what you call good religious Jews. Now they have a child who threw everything away. 
or, or a grandchild, or a friend's child, whatever it is, or fr- whatever, whoever it is, or their own inner child, who threw everything away. They, they ran away to the other extreme. They defy the structure. If I come to them with structure, I can't get them. The structure of Yiddishkeit will not appeal to them. Because in the world of Klippa, there's makif. So the question is, how do I touch them? I have to find infinity in Kedusha. I have to be able to go out. I have to be able to touch God, to touch Kedusha in a way that transcends my structure. Because they're operating on a level of infinity, wild infinity. If I won't find the infinity in Judaism, I will never be able to touch their infinity. There's something in Klippa that, as I said, bohemian, it's wild, it's uninhibited. If Kedusha's appeal is only we create good structured lives, we marry you off when you're 17, right? And by the time you're 30, you already have grandkids or whatever it is. So if, if that, it's an appeal for a lot of people. I read in a magazine, they interviewed a woman from Satmar, and they asked her if she's jealous of feminists. So she said, what should I be jealous of? They say, look at these women. They go out 8 o'clock in the morning with an attache case, and they go to court. They're judges. Are you not jealous? She says, why should I be jealous? She says, I'm 58, and I have like 69 grandchildren, and they all worship me. Why should I be jealous? So uh, it was a good answer. So there's an element of structure that's very appealing to people, whatever that structure means. But when somebody is in a state with a completely defied structure, there's no way I could touch that soul if I don't reach into my God that is not structured. Structure will not catch bleak vul. Structure will not be able to catch the makif. So this means if I'm serving Hashem only because it fits my identity and it suits my schedule, it suits my schedule. It doesn't suit your schedule. So therefore it will not mean anything to you. Just because I like that my children should be Bnei Torah and should live a certain way doesn't mean anything to them. It means something to me. It, so they say, I'm not you, respect me, and I'm not you. The only way I could touch you is if I could reach a space of my own maketh. If I'm just serving God because it works for me in my life, it doesn't work for you in your life. If I could find within myself a place of maketh, in other words, that my relationship with Hashem transcends structure, for this, I have to strip away my own layers and see if religion for me is just an escape in the sense that it's a safe zone of comfort because I like the structure, and ultimately that can't touch the other person. I have to completely, so to speak, jump into the water, I have to take off my levushin, and I have to reach a place that I'm not familiar with. And in that place that I'm not familiar with, that rawness, if I could touch the rawness of the energy, then I can touch your energy also. Because on the rawness level, there is going to be a very deep connection. So Yitzchak says, I can't give him stambrachas, but he can't tell this to Esau. Esau doesn't know this. Rivka understood this. So Rivka says it over to Yaakov. Rivka understands what you're doing here is, don't think this is a regular mission. What you're doing here is, you're really taking the brachas that belong to Esau. You don't need this. You're a different mahalach. Because ultimately, Esav is going to have to get them through you. Esav is going to be sublimated through you. So now, Yaakov has to put on the garments of Esav. He has to understand. 
That's going to be the next tickle. There were two different perspectives. Yitzchak has a perspective and Rivka has a perspective. Both perspectives are very real. But uh, ultimately it had to happen through Rivka's way. That's why it happened Rivka's way. Because uh, Yitzchak's perspective <coughs> remains a real perspective, but it'll probably have to happen through Rivka. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.